Men, like bees, want room. When the hive is overflowing, the bees will swarm and will be likely to make up their abode where they find the best prospect for honey. In matters of this sort, men are very much like bees. Frederick Douglass Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank you for joining me this week. I appreciate all the support we've been getting. Uh, and uh, I hope if any new listeners here here this week that you enjoy, that you'll go back and listen to our backlog of episodes. Ah, so this week we finished up with the uh, plant domestication uh, for this season, uh, at least as far as I can tell. But if anyone thinks I'm missing anything or has any questions, please feel free to let me know. Um, for now, though, we're going to go ahead and move and cover uh, animal domestication that's kind of taking place this season. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about this. Um, the animals being domesticated this season are kind of an interesting mix, an interesting bunch. <clears throat> so, uh, first, we will start in Africa uh, for this uh like we did last, uh, or for the plant domestications. Uh, and there's a very important animal that's being domesticated in Africa this season, and that is uh, an equid, but it is not a horse. Instead, it is the stubborn, steadfast, the adamant donkey, excuse me. Now, uh, <clears throat> the English origin of donkey is not known. Uh, it may be that it was a diminutive corruption of dun, uh, which is kind of meant dull gray brown. Uh, and this is from the Middle English donned, or to lose color, fade, uh, which itself descended from an Old English uh, dunian. Uh, some small gray or sandy colored horses were also called duns, so a donkey may have meant like small dun. Of course, prior to the spread of uh, donkey uh, in English, uh, speakers would have just called this animal an ass. Uh, and this evolved from the Old English asa. Something close to this was used by a number of other Germanic languages. Uh, Old Saxon called them Essel, Dutch Esel. Uh, Old High German was Essel, uh, like the Old Saxon. Uh, modern German, uh, I believe it's Essel, and the uh, Gothic uh, language used Asilius. Now, the ultimate origin of all these languages term for the animal is the Latin Asinus. In fact, almost all Indo-European languages use a loan word for the animal, though its scientific name is made from Latin, uh, that being Equus Asinus or Equus Africanus Asinus, depending on if you think that donkeys are a separate species from their wild ancestors. Now, I am not a biologist, so I can't really comment too much on that. Um, but as a historian, I should start with the wild ancestor. And this is the African wild ass or Equus Africanus. Uh, now, these animals may still exist today. Um, it's debated, but they are considered critically endangered if they're still in existence. In the historical period, there are records of three such, 
subspecies, and in the past there may have been more, possibly at least four. Um, they're the same species, so they could breed, but they have a number of small differences uh, like colorings and patterns in their fur, and of course relative geographic isolation from each other. Uh, these included the Atlas wild ass, which went extinct around the 300s AD, probably due to hunting environmental challenges. Uh, then there is the Somalian wild ass and the Nubian wild ass. As you might have guessed, their names are an indication of the regions they inhabited. The Atlas lived in and around the Atlas mountain range and all along northern Africa. The Somalian lived or lives in the Horn of Africa, the Ethiopian highlands, and toward the Red Sea. Uh, the Nubian lives in what is now Sudan, South Sudan, and Eritrea. Um, and in the past, the Nubians' range included the Nile River Valley, and it is the primary ancestor of the donkey. Now, the Nubian hasn't been spotted, or at least identified, in the wild since the 1970s, I believe, but there are places that claim to be host to wild herds, though how pure they are is heavily debated. Uh, there is some thought that it may be a mix of donkeys with the last remaining uh wild populations these donkeys got out they became feral what have you um, that kind of thing uh, as for the somalian breed they are still seen in the wild but their numbers are estimated to only be around a thousand um, now i'm sure all three varieties have contributed to the donkey's genetic le legacy in some place or another uh, but in you know smaller amounts for the atlas and somalian and this is true of other wild species of ass too, but we'll talk about that later. For now though, let's talk about when and why this domestication is taking place. To start with, we're not exactly sure when this is happening. Early domesticated donkey skeletons are virtually identical to wild varieties. And even today, some remains can be hard to differentiate except by an expert so we have kind of a, a wide range to look at so it could have been as early as 5000 bc or as late as 3000 that the fully domesticated breed comes into existence um, and of course as always this is a process so at either end of these dates earlier control of the wild asses are being practiced i'm of the opinion that the earlier dates are closer to the donkey's emergence for uh, again reasons we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. Now, as for why domesticate the ask, the primary reason was probably for food, obviously. But why these animals when people's domesticating them are probably already in some level of contact um, with sheep, cattle, and goats? Uh, well, to the peoples living in the south, of the Nubians range, uh, water could be very scarce as is foliage, and even though the Sahara and regions outside of the Nile Valley were much greater than today, you still had times of the year when plants and the like were not as available as you would hope if you were, of course, living there. Hence, had people had to keep mobile. Um, African wild asses, of course, evolved in Africa. Sheep and goats did not. 
wild asses can not only eat leaves and grass, they can also digest bark and small branches from shrubs, all of which they're more adept at getting water and moisture out of than either of the other two. Also, they're more efficient consumers of water. They can get by on much less than sheep or goats. And they've been shown to be able to drink brackish or salty water in extreme cases and not really feel uh, too much adverse effects, provided, of course, they eventually start getting fresh water again. As for the taurine cattle that have been driven into and raised in the region, they may have been crossbred with wild African cattle or maybe semi-domesticated strains of African species uh, have emerged at this point. So they might be a little bit more used to the heat, but they would still need a lot of water and grazing land to survive in large numbers. Uh, so donkeys probably served as a good supplemental animal in average and good times and kind of a vital emergency ration in bad times. All that said though, donkeys quickly found another use that they were even better suited for than meat. And it is this purpose that probably led them to being driven and exported out all over to the rest of the world. And that purpose was physical labor. Now, asses and donkeys are surprisingly strong for their size. And they can carry up to, I believe, 30% of their body weight. This means that an average-sized adult donkey who weighs between 400 to 600 pounds, which is... I think uh, 180 to about 270 kilograms um, can handle approximately 80 to 180 pounds or 36 to 82 kilograms of cargo. Uh, this combined with their higher speed, um, which on a flat surface they can reach up to you know, 40 miles per hour or 70 kilometers per hour, um, and, of course, they have sure footing in hilly and mountain terrain, um, even if they're not as fast in those areas, uh, that make them much better pack animals for mobile herders. And this probably allowed their herders to save their other animals from this task. Um, this is also why long-range traders in many places will use donkeys as their primary pack animals as well. Now, this size to power ratio will also be useful to farmers who are not uh, rich enough to own oxen. Um, and women farmers could much more easily control donkeys than oxen. And in fact, some societies uh, would not allow women to own or interact with uh, male cattle at all. Uh, there are a number of reasons for this that we'll get into when we talk about religious stuff. Um, so donkeys were a way for them to maintain their land with relatively uh, less labor uh, on their part. Uh, and of course, donkeys also play an important role in transporting supplies for a lot of armies uh, in the Middle East, North Africa, as, uh, as well as other regions uh, too. But uh, in some of these pl other places, uh, the donkey is eventually replaced for this purpose at least. Now, how were wild asses domesticated? In, I believe, the first of my domestication episodes for animals last season, I talked generally how this would work for cattle, sheep, and goats, basically all 
herd animals, really. Uh, and that process was generally the same for the asses, but they had some quirks that might have made this process a little bit easier for humans to gain control of their first uh, herds uh, that didn't that the other animals didn't exhibit, and other animals that will be domesticated in the future didn't exhibit. Um, now, uh, one, asses didn't live in large unified herds. A male donkey controls territories around 20 to 25 kilometers, or square kilometers, excuse me. And they would mark this by defecating around the perimeter of the territory that they controlled. Any females living there were his. So humans could easily figure out where herds were located, and this allowed them to control the animals in a set range without really having to do too much. Additionally, because of their size, uh, excuse me, because of the size of their territory, the alpha males couldn't really prevent random male donkeys from entering. Um, but of course, he would fight them if he ran across them or they were close to his females. Uh, early humans would be able to use this to their advantage by eliminating an alpha male and letting the other males in the territory kind of fight it out while they began to take control of the females and young. Um, also, while wild asses can bite, kick, or spit to defend themselves, a well-organized group of humans could easily deal with them. Uh, plus, the animals are fairly cowardly, so uh, they probably wouldn't put up too much of a fight before running away, or at least try to run away. Uh, in fact, I think uh, I read that donkey's stubbornness might just be due to them being spooked by almost literally anything. Um, now, um, donkeys spread in Africa and out of it quickly. Uh, the descendants of those that get to Asia will be bred with wild asses there, as well as other animals later. Um, in the Middle East, female donkeys would be bred with wild onagers, which is a subspecies of um, Asian ass. And this makes what is known as a kunga. Uh, this is the first domesticated uh, or documented domesticated hybrid animal in history. And we have records of the animal dating to around 3,500 to 3,000 BC, though it is probably older than that and emerged sometimes toward the end of this season, which is part of the reason why, again, I said it was the domesticated donkey probably emerged towards the earlier end of the uh, time frame that I gave uh, at the start of this uh, episode. Um now, in terms of reproduction, um, a lot of domesticated animals, their young will, they'll gestate and give birth in a much quicker um, clip, I guess, than a, wild, than a wild variety. However, that is not true of the domesticated donkey. Uh, I think in most cases, a... Um, a female animal would conceive and give birth uh, within a year for a wild uh, donkey. It's like, I think, 11 to 12 months. And I think some female donkeys can take up to 11, or the wild asses will give birth within a year. And some female donkeys, I think it's between 11 and in some cases 14 months at the kind of the um, 
the longer end of the spectrum. And again, there's parts of this that you know, specific breeds do this. Um, now, female donkeys, it's very unusual, but they can give birth to twins, which I don't think is nearly as common as uh, wild asses. And it's not all that common really in female donkeys, but it's more common in the domesticated uh, donkeys as opposed to the wild asses. Uh, but the difference between uh, a wild ass and a domesticated uh, donkey is that the female donkeys, the domesticated breeds, will enter into estrus uh, very soon after giving birth, within a couple of months. Whereas I think wild asses, uh, they are not ready to bear another uh, foal uh, nearly as quickly. I think they need at least a year. Now, uh, there is still, you know, chances are that, you know, a donkey will not conceive that quickly. It's possible, but it is rare. It's usually double that time, so around three to four months before they can actually conceive again. So uh, it's a little bit faster in terms of how quickly they conceive, but the birth itself is not faster, and in some cases may even be slower. Um, and I think that's kind of the highlights I wanted to hit for the donkeys. Um, they'll still be used, of course, as meat uh, when needed, uh, but their main value is not for a food source uh, very early on in their domesticated history. Uh, now, yeah, I think that is, again, everything I needed to hit. Donkeys don't have too much in the way of uh, secondary products, but there have been instances where they have found uh, donkey milk uh, being used for, you know, for nutrition and things like that. But uh, that is not as widespread as uh, goat's milk or, you know, or cow or even horse. And that is not something that's done, uh, at least in the historical record, until later. Um, we'll talk about lactose tolerance among humans and how that spreads uh, and why it spreads. Uh, but that is not part of this season, I don't believe. I'll double check my dates on that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so now it is time to move on to our next, I guess, um, domesticate. Though um, it isn't truly. A domesticate, but it is close enough and important enough that I feel like it bears mentioning here uh, this season, uh, especially uh, because of um, just where we kind of find more and more evidence that the animal is being uh, at least controlled to a level it's never been before, or at least at uh, high enough levels where it actually makes an impact in the archaeological record, and that is, of course, the uh, honeybee. Now, uh, the word bee uh, enters into uh, modern English from the Old English Baal, uh, and that probably descended from the Proto-Germanic Beon, uh, which was probably the root for um, the Old German Bea, uh, the Middle Dutch Bai, uh, and it probably, all these probably descended from the, uh, the Proto-Indo-European Behi or bay, uh, depending on I guess the pronunciation, which is not 100% agreed on. Uh, 
Now, uh, the Latin name for it uh, is apis, and that is the scientific name. Now, uh, Latin, of course, is a Indo-European family language, uh, and you might be kind of wondering, well, why is their word for uh, bee so different from ours? Well, the, the Proto-Indo-European word bay may have been like a drone, just like a you know, one that flies around, uh, whereas the it's possible that the um, the Latin word uh, came from a Proto-Indo-European word that may have been something like aampi or or ampi or impi, uh, which meant like a stinging insect, something that that flies around and, and bites you. Uh, and, and German uses the word emmy for like a swarm of bees. Uh, and this could have also, Old English has a word for that called impi, or imbi, excuse me. And the ancient Greeks used impis, which was also a stinging or biting insect. Um, another theory is that uh, that the bay for it uh that the bay may have just been again drone like a specific type of bee but it also could have come into uh european languages from uh the egyptian word which i can't really it's hard for me to pronounce because it's just fj i was like phage or um phage or something along those lines but that is again kind of hard to trace down because there is no uh semitic cognate with the Egyptian word. So it's hard to say for sure. So it's a little bit of a mystery why there is this um, or it's least debated why there are two different terms and I'm sorry for those sirens. Okay, they're gone now. Um, another theory on the difference between the Latin and the, uh, the other languages um, may have been that it was uh, possibly an Umbrian word or an Oscan word, which were neighbor, languages neighboring Latin, uh, from like uh, aqueous, uh, which was something like sharp or, again, stinging. Uh, and Latin uses aqui for sharp, too. So that's another possibility. So the exact differences for B is not really 100% uh, agreed on. But it does show, potentially, uh, how widespread the B was um, all across the world and there are essentially two different strains of honeybees uh, that we work with at, at, at kind of the human level and that's the western honeybee and the eastern honeybee now uh, humans of course have been harvesting honey for quite a long time uh, it's there's cave paintings uh, that have been found in a couple of different places i think there's some in uh, Spain near, I think it's the city of Valencia, that uh, date back to about somewhere between ten and 8,000 years uh, in terms of age, where it shows, you know, humans like climbing up and collecting honey from hives as bees swarm around them. Um, and there is evidence uh, of people uh, creating uh, essentially uh, hives, uh, much like, you know, you have modern, modern apiaries today, which, again, comes from the Latin word for bee, um, where they were 
using uh, hollow logs. They would hollow logs out to try to entice bees into them. Uh, wooden boxes. They would use, uh, in certain cases, pottery, uh, straw baskets. Um, and these are known as skeps, which is, I guess, kind of interchangeable with an apiary uh, as well. Um, and there are... And you know, there are very early traces of this in North Africa uh, is where you find some of those. You find some in the Middle East, um, all dating to generally the same time frame. So this is something that's kind of an ongoing process, as we've talked about with a lot of different animals. Um, we know that the Egyptians had, you know, a lot of man-made, essentially farms, um, of like domesticated honeybees. Uh, and these show up around, well, after this season. But it's again, it's a process and it shows up very early in uh, human records. And we have, again, in the archaeological record, a uh, little bit last season and in a lot of this season, it's showing up more and more often in the archaeological record. Um, now, as I said, there are two different uh, breeds of honeybee, uh, the eastern and western. Uh, there is a question of where the honeybee first arose. Of course, the bees probably evolved in Africa, moved out, and then kind of did an evolution where maybe their product wasn't as highly sought out as uh, by other wild animals outside of Africa, so they became less aggressive. And then this, uh, they kind of move back into uh, parts of uh, uh, Western Asia, uh, from East Asia, and then it is this uh, less aggressive bee that would become the, I guess the the basis for uh, modern honeybees, depending on your region. But there are those that say, you know, it uh, it was kind of a, a mix between. A Western strain and an Easter strain early, and it didn't evolve uh, until uh, later. But that's all heavily debated, and no one knows for sure. And um, well, I did say that honeybees haven't been domesticated. That's that's kind of a again one of those things that's debated, like what the true definition of domesticated is. Uh, obviously, beekeepers do select uh, bees. You know they do kind of prevent certain colonies or queens from uh, passing on their genes if possible. Um, typically speaking, you know, they like a colony that can survive with as little food as possible. Uh, they like them to be able to resist cold weather, of course, disease resistance, uh, less uh, aggressiveness, less tendency to swarm, uh, smaller nests is always um, a plus. And of course, smoke, uh, you know, how much they panic or don't panic. They Basically, the more easier they are to pacify with smoke, the better. Um, and bees are, I think, one of the only invertebrate species to have been, I guess, semi-domesticated or domesticated, depending on your definition. Um, and bees are very important for uh, agriculture, of course. They... Uh, there have been a hive set up next to um, uh, 
crop locations. Uh, these are used, of course, for pollination. But you also have ones that are, uh, I guess, bred for uh, honey production. Well, wax is, of course, an important byproduct. Um, they also have... Um, I forget the name. What's the term? I forgot the term, but they also have a a kind of a resin that they use to kind of seal up holes in their hives, and that is an important uh, byproduct that humans are harvesting from them as well. Um, and there are other places outside of uh, the Middle East and North Africa that are, you know, practicing uh, kind of beekeeping. Um, but there are also people that never really truly domesticated bees. They just kind of allow them to live where they have always lived and they'll, you know, just go in and get honey when they need it. I think there are places in Tibet where, um, I think it's Tibet. It may, or maybe somewhere along the Himalayas where there are certain bees that, um, uh, that they kind of have allowed to live like in these large outdoor colonies where they will go and harvest um, harvest honey when needed, but they don't really move the bees around. They kind of allow the bees to live where they've always lived. And they just kind of go and take what they need at a lot, you know, kind of that type of, um, I guess, uh, loose domestication or just very light-handed domestication. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's a good place to stop this week. Um, we'll be back next week. I think next week will probably be the last domestication episode of Animals for this season. Um, there are only There's really only a few animals this season that kind of fall into this range. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll talk about some more of those next time. Uh, and then we'll move towards um, a couple of our other kind of supplemental episodes. Uh, I want to talk about urbanization, uh, the, the beginnings of cities and what is a city and what is not a city. Uh, we'll also talk about more about organized religion. That's going to be something that's going to be becoming more important for uh, a number of different societies going forward. Um, and after that, of course, we will be going back and doing our, our true history episodes and talking about uh, human evolution. Now, I've gotten some um, some stuff I'm going to change up, at least in terms of thumbnail, uh, for those areas and those uh, talking about those regions and the peoples living in them. So um, I hope you guys uh, like it, um, and I'll be looking for feedback on that. So please... Uh, let me know. But again, that's for the future. That's just something for you to keep an eye out. Um, if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free uh, to let me know. You can reach me at waradrevpod at gmail.com. You can comment on any of my um, YouTube uh, uploads where I upload the episodes there. Uh, there's no video. It's just audio. Uh, you can also direct message me on Twitter slash X, um, and I do uh, I do live stream on YouTube a good bit during the week and occasionally on the weekends too if I'm not doing anything. Um, so feel free to drop on by and um, ask questions there if you happen to catch me live. Uh, I've been playing a couple of map games, I guess you'd call them. Uh, I'm trying to. Um, 
just doing like some alternate history stuff, trying to um, get some achievements um, for uh, reform the Golden Horde, get uh, unite all the Tartar peoples under uh, one of the um, uh, Mongol hordes after the Mongol Empire broke up. I'm, I'm doing a run on that right now. It's been very fun, uh, very challenging, uh, and I'm enjoying that. And uh, yeah, so if you're any of that content sounds like it might be up your alley aside from this podcast uh feel free to drop on by there uh i'm trying to get 100 episode uh subscribers on youtube so that would be great if anyone would come by and at least uh subscribe there Uh, i've been stuck at like 96 since december so uh we're getting close to 100 and we will keep going there but um i have been very pleased with at least the downloads for the audio episodes Uh, those are up all across the board especially since the Apple links have finally started cooperating. Uh, So I really appreciate all the support from all of you. So thank you all. I will see you next time, and I hope you have a good rest of your day and a good rest of your week. Thank you all. Next time. Goodbye.